Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heaven Bound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Roger, we're going to shift gears just a little bit. You spoke on Sunday evening, but it's actually the first of a three-part series. It is. We uh, Sunday not only was Super Sunday in a football world, but it was it was the day before Valentine's Day, and a lot of people got love on their hearts and their minds. <laughs> and so we decided to talk about a three-part series on the trouble with love and not so much talking about marriage and home that that's a direction you could go with that sermon that title but we want to look at some of the challenges that god puts before us and love can be difficult we talk about forgiving somebody that can be hard and so one of the commands that jesus gives to us found in the sermon on the mount was to love our enemies and that's what we spent that time talking about. How in the world can we love our enemies? How can we love somebody that doesn't like us or somebody's trying to purposely hurt me or kind of knock me down a notch or two or take credit for something I've done? There, there's a lot of toxic relationships in the workplace and in the world, and this is a challenging thing. And a lot of people don't fully grasp what Jesus means by loving your enemy. And part of it comes from the definition of love itself. And so in this lesson, we just kind of walk through that. We particularly focused upon one of the last miracles of Jesus before the cross. And that's the healing of Malchus's ear. Uh, Jesus was in the garden. Judas shows up with all the soldiers to arrest Jesus. Peter grabs a sword and starts swinging it and cuts off a servant's ear. And Jesus put that ear right back on and demonstrated right there at the very last to love our enemies. And so that's kind of what we looked at today. The sermon is freely available at charlestownroad.org. If you haven't had the opportunity to watch or, or to listen to it, I'd certainly encourage you to do it, not only because it's a powerful lesson, but it's the first in a, a three-part series. But here in the middle of this week, we always try Wednesdays, some practical thing to think about as the, the day is starting or the afternoon, we got a little bit of time before a busy evening. Just some basic questions. Roger, you referenced Matthew chapter 5. Of course, this comes in a section of that sermon near the beginning where it sure does seem Jesus is encouraging his disciples to unashamedly swim against the currents of culture. He does. And uh, let's just read a portion of this. And, and again, you know, as we read it, you'll see it was hard then. It's still hard today. And that's what makes love difficult. So starting in verse 38 of Matthew 5, you have heard it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If he wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him, whoever wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that... 
you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more do you do than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you're to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So let me ask you, we heard two different times as you read those verses, Jesus say, you have heard that it was said. What What's he drawing attention to there, do you think? Well, part of this, and some of this goes deeper into uh, Matthew 5, some of it goes back to the law itself, what it was said, but a lot of it was just what the rabbis had been teaching for centuries and centuries upon the people. And what we find here is it was kind of a one-dimensional type of faith that they had. It's all external. Uh, as Jesus has said right there, the idea of just loving those who love me, you know, that what good is that? And the, the very concept of trying to do what God wants you to do, Jesus is getting at the internal side. Uh, the causes of some of these things. And so when he says, you've heard you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, well, that's not God, and and that's not the way God has ever operated. And so Jesus is driving that internally. You've got to be motivated by what God wants you to do. So it's not just a matter of outward actions. It's a matter of what's going on inside of my heart. There's a lot of that highlighted by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. You realize just as surely as I do, on at least one occasion during Jesus's life, there were people who heard Jesus talk about your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy There were some who said, okay, but who is my neighbor? Why is that important that we answer that the way Jesus would, do you think? Well, because, you know, uh, if you don't understand who your neighbor is, you might just think, well, the guy lives next door to me. (laughs) Now, now the guy who lives two blocks down, he's not my neighbor because he's two blocks down. The guy on the other side of town, he's not my neighbor. And definitely the guy on the other side of the planet, he's not my neighbor. And so that that gives us a very limited definition of who I have to be kind to. And so if I just have to love my next-door neighbor, well, that's pretty easy because he and I get along pretty good. But Jesus defines neighbor as much more than location. Yeah, yeah. His most famous sermon or a illustration, of course, of an answer to that question is his parable of the Good Samaritan. That Samaritan who is on his way to Jerusalem does not know, as far as we can tell from the parable, uh, the man bloodied and left on the side of the road to die, right? But he understands here is someone in need. I have the ability to help. Why would I go to the other side of the road and act as if I didn't see that man when it's in my power to do something? And Jesus tells that that, that timeless illustration, then looks his audience in the eye, presumably looks the man who asked, well, who is my neighbor in the eye and says, you go, you you do likewise. And what's what's powerful about that uh, Good Samaritan story is very, very likely in that Jewish audience that everyone involved in that story, the priest, the Levite, even the wounded man, were all Jewish. Yeah. And the Samaritan wasn't. 
So here's somebody who's different religiously than me. Here's someone who's different ethnically than me. Here's somebody that on a given day probably would ignore me, but he's somebody who has a need. Jesus said, that is your neighbor. All right. So that, I think, very naturally gets us into this love discussion. Uh, We've noticed from Matthew 5, this is countercultural. It's not just what you've always heard or what you might hear in the marketplace around uh, Capernaum or in Jerusalem. I'm, I'm asking you to do something difficult. I'm asking you to swim against the current even to people that you might not know all that well or may look, sound, be somewhere different from from where you are. And he calls us, I mean, it's a very specific verb, to love. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, you shall love your enemy. Now, 2022, (laughs) there are all sorts of different ideas as to what love is. We don't necessarily want to take a poll of what everybody in the world thinks. What, What matters most is, what does God mean when he talks about loving? And what's interesting is, you know, by the time we get our English Bibles, it's come to us from the Latin, from the German, from the Greek, and there's been a lot of different culture and language changes through all of that. So we we use the word love by context. I love my dog. I love my country. I love apple pie. I love my wife. Okay? All those use the word love. But the context tells you what you mean. The way I love my dog is not the way I love my wife. No, they're not, they're not the same. So the context determines that. In the Greek language, rather than context, they would have a different word. And each word would say, is this a friendship? Or is this a passionate love? Or is this something else? So when we come to passages like love your enemy, or God is love, or God so loved the world, or love your brethren. Over and over, the biblical word that's used is the word agape. It's the highest form. And what that simply means is it's a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not like holding hands and having a candlelight dinner at Valentine's Day. This is a choice. And it's a one-directional choice. I choose to love you, period. Doesn't matter how you treat me. Doesn't, doesn't mean you love me back. I love you, period. And so God so loved the world, not because we were lovable, we were not, we were rebels, but God chose to to love us. So when Jesus uses this expression, love your enemies, he's not saying, okay, I've got to go buy a a, a Christmas card for my guy over here because he's my enemy and I've (laughs) got to pretend I like him when I really don't like him. He's not talking about feelings. He's talking about choosing. And when we look at God's love, God's love is always demonstrated by actions. Uh, one place we see that's in the book of Romans, chapter 5. God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world, he gave. He gave Jesus. So when we talk about God loving us, God loving the world, we love our enemies, it's mean I'm going to be out of my way to do kindness, I'm going to help my enemy. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. You know, I think there's a a really important thread here that maybe is good for young and old to hear, but I 
I'm guessing particularly those maybe who are younger, maybe mom or dad is listening to this podcast on the way to dropping someone off at school and in high school, middle school, through media, Hollywood, YouTube, whatever it is, it's easy for us to get the idea that love is a feeling. But Roger, it sounds like, and I just want to make sure that uh, this this comes through loud and clear and plain. It sounds like what you're saying, God is calling me to make a choice even when I don't feel like it. That's it. That's it exactly. And it's not based upon the other person. And that that's the very point Jesus is making there in Matthew 5. If you love those who love you, big deal. Basically is what he's saying. You love those who don't love you. You, you love that bully at school. You love that coworker who's toxic. You love that family member who's just obnoxious. And so God's love is not qualified by ifs. If you do this, I will love you. He doesn't do that. I love you no matter what you do. You drew out in the sermon, First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, and you mentioned just in passing that, uh, you know, this is not a, a God-provided text to be preached as defined by God at weddings, right? This has a context. You mentioned context earlier, and, and we can go back and we can read this letter, and it is full of all sorts of tensions, problems, hiccups, uh, ruptures, uh, threatened divisions within a local church, right? And so in the middle of all of that, the Apostle Paul shows us the sort of choices I think you're talking about. We could pick it up in verse 4. Love is patient. Well, it is a choice to be patient, right? I can make the choice to show kindness. I can make the choice not to allow envy or boastfulness or arrogance or rudeness, selfishness that, that insists on its own way, irritability or, or, or resentment. If those things come to have a place in my heart, I'm allowing them. I'm, I'm making the choice to give fertile ground to that. And so I, I, I'm going to rejoice with the truth. I'm going to choose to bear and believe and hope and endure even when it's not what I naturally feel like doing. And let, let me just jump in to where you are right here. And let me read a section of this. Yeah. And, and I want you to notice these are choices. Love is patient. That's a choice. Love is kind. Okay, I'm placed with this situation. I can say a mean word back because this person said a mean word to me. This person stuck his leg out and tried to trip me so I can shove him against the lockers. Love chooses to be kind. Love is not jealous. That's a choice. Love does not brag. That's a choice. Is not arrogant. That's a choice. Does not act unbecomingly. That's a choice. It does not seek its own. That's a choice. Is not provoked. Does not take account of wrongs suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Running through all this is choices. Now, in that big Corinthian context, there was problems there about spiritual gifts. Some were jealous and some were getting the big head about these things. And Paul places this right here to get them see how you choose to see one another. It's going to affect your fellowship. 
how we choose to see the world affects whether we obey God or not. So we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. Can you think of any particular scenes from Jesus's life that show us Matthew 5, 1 Corinthians 13 in the flesh? Well, there's so many. I mean, you can almost open your Gospels to any place, and you're seeing this. Uh, in John chapter 8, there was a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery, brought into the temple. She would have been unclean. She should not have been in the temple. Brought before Jesus, and the people that brought her said, should we stone her? And what did Jesus do? He, he gave her a second chance. He extended grace. He showed love, love to someone who was unlovable at that time. Our sermon Sunday took us to uh, Luke 22, where Peter cut off the ear of Malchus. Soldiers all around. Peter had a sword. Soldiers all had swords. Could have been a, a quick and easy bloodbath. All the apostles could have been killed. Jesus put the ear on, told Peter to put his sword up, calm the situation down, and it wasn't one of the apostles who got his ear cut off. It was one of the enemies coming to get Jesus. And so one of his very last acts before the cross was healing one of his enemies. Upon the, upon the cross, what did he say to the soldiers gambling down below him? Father, forgive them. So over and over and over, Jesus has shown love toward his enemies. All right. So... Uh, hopefully, <laughs> it, it's, it's very natural to see our final step in this discussion. We've talked about Matthew chapter 5, who's my neighbor? We've acknowledged this is countercultural. This sort of thing is a choice. It was modeled by Jesus, but, you know, he was the son of God. Uh, does this mean that... I need to do this, and if so, what's it going to look like on an ordinary Wednesday? Well, you know, as we pointed out in the sermon, when Jesus put the ear back on Malchus's head, um, the people there didn't drop their swords and say, okay, <laughs> it's all over, we, we, we're not going to do this. No, they, st- they still tied Jesus up. They still took him down to Jerusalem. He was still tried. He was still scourged. He was still nailed to the cross. He still died. So doing something kind to your enemy may not change your enemy, but what it may do is uh, fulfill the will of God, and that's what God wants you to do. I believe one of the reasons why Jesus is telling us in the book of Matthew is to prepare the apostles. You're going to go into all the world, and you're going to go to some difficult places, and you're going to go some places where a Jewish man is not welcome, but you're going to go there because that's the right thing to do. So what does it look like today? It looks like me doing some kindness to someone who's unkind. It's like me saying, can I say a prayer for you to someone having a hard day? It's like going out of my way, and if I'm, if I'm buying a candy bar or something for somebody I like at school, at work, I'm going to buy one for who's my enemy. Why? Because I'm going to extend kindness. That's the idea of what we see here. It's when somebody irritates me, I'm not going to let that bother me to the point where I'm going to be just like them. I'm going to rise above that. I'm going to rise above their hostility and their anger and all the things around them. I'm going to be as Jesus wants me to be. You know, I think he probably gave us the the greatest, most succinct description of that. It's I'm going to treat others the way I wish they would treat me, right? The golden rule. Now, the trouble is 
we don't always feel like that, right? <laughs> and uh, we, we've got to learn, we've got to follow Jesus's wisdom, believing that his way is the best way, trusting that this is life the way that it was meant to be. Again, if you've not heard that sermon, I would certainly encourage you to go back. It is front and center there in our uh, website, charlestownroad.org, The Trouble with Love. We'll we'll talk just uh, uh, in a moment about this evening, but Roger, you're going to take this another step further this coming Sunday evening. I am. I'm going to talk about the choices of love, and we're going to begin back in Exodus and walk up to Hebrews, but we're going, to, we're going to look at that love oftentimes means making the tough choice, not the easy choice. And once again, as we've titled this series, The Trouble with Love, you know, the, the word love makes us think, well, this is easy. Everybody can love until we started applying it the way God wants us to. And sometimes it gets difficult. All right. So this evening, we're looking forward, 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesday. You know, I, I've noticed here the last few days, it is staying lighter, later, and later in the day. That's really nice. We would love to have you join us at 7 o'clock p.m. Roger, you're going to be in the auditorium. We are looking at the teacher, Jesus, and we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. So this coming uh, day, what we're going to look at is the challenges found in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll go back and revisit this, loving your enemy again. But there are many other challenges that come out of this. And we're going to just kind of walk through and look at this. This this was not an easy sermon. And the hard part was not the words, but putting the feet to that. In our Building Blocks track of studies, we are exploring this month, how does God communicate with us? Last Wednesday, we noticed what the, the scriptures tell us about creation. God communicates certain things through his creation. This evening, we're going to look at his revelation. And notice that we need more than beautiful sunrises and spring flowers and amazing waterfalls. We need the counsel, the wisdom, the warnings of God. So we'll dig into that a little bit. We would love to have you join us this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. We've got Bible classes for all ages. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We're looking forward to tonight, 7 o'clock p.m. We're looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.